0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic: the gathering at every level. From popper Leagues to Top 1000 Mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at PureMTGO.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MTGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. How's it going, everybody? It is 1130 a.m. Saturday, February 13th, 2021, and it's time for this, the 103rd trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam, and I got a few questions for you. Are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? I mean, I really hope so, since we're presumably consuming a podcast about it. Do you have something else in your life that takes precedence over any magical accomplishments you might have? Listen, I understand. Job, career, spouse, partner, children, any any combination of all of the above. I've got a wife and three children myself and I work 42 hours a week, so I, I feel you. I understand. But in spite of that, are you using every resource at your disposal despite them being limited to find ways to improve your magic game at every turn. Because if that sounds like you, I hope you're attacking alone because I'm gonna call you the exalted one. So we're gonna dive in and look at some of the some of the ways we can improve through budgeting, brewing, and breaking bad habits after a word from our sponsors. Listen, the grind on MTG Arena can feel relentless. Like you're trying to make your way through a horde of imaginary enemies and you're not equipped with anything to fight them with. That's where our newest sponsor comes in. Great Viking games with their ac- with access to endless codes for arena to get you either the cosmetics that you've been desi- the cosmetics you desired, but couldn't get when they came out or didn't want to get the, the secret layer in order to get them or, you know, promo pack codes pre-release codes without having to go get the paper cards if paper cards aren't your bag, whatever the case may be, you can find your way to glory at Grey Viking Games. And if you use our affiliate code HWPMTG in the promo code section at checkout, you get 5% off your order. They know we sent you. GreyVikingGames.com. Go check it out while you're on there checking stuff out don't forget to check out our other sponsor at puremtgo.com puremtgo is less of a less of a an armorer and more of a a guide they just point you in the right direction to find your way through puremtgo is one of the largest collections of magic content on the web they've got something for everyone and they can make sure you're headed the right way keep you on the path But while you're uh, while you're perusing, looking for someone to help guide you on your way, don't forget to check out our parent network over at ConstructiveCriticism.com. Everybody's doing great work over there right now, so you should probably it would it would be well worth your time. It's a waste of time not to go. Check out the other the content on the web. They're a collection of some of the best content creators on the web, and then there's me. So go check them out. And if you like what we're doing enough to help me keep doing it, patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. Everything I do, every major piece of content I put out is going to be free. But if you like what we're doing enough to, one, help me keep doing it, and two, have a more direct say in what we're doing, become a patron of the show. So with all that out of the way, let's dive in to our topics. Our budget spotlight this week, similar to the last couple of weeks when we were, we've been covering these shards, uh, we're going to feature one card from each color and then one card that's all three colors at the end. So our white card, white being comprising the core of the shard of Bant, it's the, the primary color with each of its two allies, blue and green. Uh, The white card in question is Path to Exile. Path to Exile is a single white mana, instant, exile target creature, its controller rampant growths. So, on the surface, this thing is just really, really good, right? Like, if you tell me for one mana, I can exile target creature, I'm already in. Like, I'm already all the way in as long as the drawback isn't debilitating, if it's not like sacrifice a land myself or something, if it's not you know debilitating to my ability to continue to function playing magic, I'm in for one mana exile target creature. But the fact that it's, it's not take something away from me, it's I'm gonna give you something for your trouble. That's way better, right? And the thing about Path to Exile is the bigger the format, the more powerful it becomes. With the possible exception of Commander. When this card was in Standard, it was a hard card to play correctly because you would sometimes ramp your opponent off of their four, you know, 3 or 4-drop directly into their 6-drop Broodmate Dragon. Or directly into their Avenger of Zendikar. Or directly into whatever it was that they actually planned on killing you with while you were concerned about this other thing. There were more expensive, more powerful cards waiting in the wings every time you tried to take care of one. But the further back you go, the less likely that is to happen because either the more powerful spells are non-creature or are difficult enough to interact with anyway, or they're just not seeing play. You know, you look at Modern, They might get to cast an extra spell along the same power level lines as what they've been doing but by and large a lot of your decks in modern are built around one and two mana spells so what's one more land you just empty their hand faster and you can resource grind them from there that seems fine right and then it gets even worse when you go back into legacy like it gets even stronger when you go back into legacy and there's just less lands And not for nothing, but the power level for dollar amount is there. This card is $3. $3. And sometimes you really need to be able to exile target creature. Whether it's a Merit Lage token. um, It could be an indestructible creature with a lot of auras strapped to it. It could be... I don't know, you know, a creature with regenerate that you need to get off the table, uh, a creature that, you know, prevents all damage to it, you're going to have a lot of trouble with it in combat. And then there's, of course, the mana efficiency argument, giving that as long as this thing trades with a creature that costs two or more, you're breaking mana efficient. You're, you're You're breaking out of this with a lead in mana efficiency. Because you presumably get to cast an extra spell after dealing with their threat. So just top to bottom, this card is phenomenal and you can do way worse for a $3 investment. Next up on the agenda is our green card. And this one is one of those cards you don't want to path your opponent into. Nissa, who shakes the world, has been a format defining force since she was printed. She's three and double green for a five loyalty planeswalker, static ability, Whenever you tap a forest for mana, add an additional green. Plus one. Untap target non-creature land you control. Put three plus one, plus one counters on it. It becomes a zero, zero elemental with Vigilance and Haste. So, face value. If all you do is resolve Nyssa and activate the plus one one time, you never get to untap with this card, The net cost of three mana, because you are untapping presumably a forest, so you're gonna have access to two mana. The net cost of three mana, because you spend five, get two back. You get a three, three creature, and a six loyalty Planeswalker. If you never untap with Nyssa, you spend three mana to get a three, three creature, and a six loyalty Planeswalker. That's one heck of a trained Armadon if I've ever seen one, right? That's really good. Whether you're using that 3-3 creature to cast another creature to help protect Nyssa, or cast an interactive spell, be it a counter spell, removal spell, uh, burn spell, cantrip, after blocking, whatever. Right? Just spending three mana to get a three three creature and a planeswalker that they have to deal with is a big deal and i've vastly underrated this card i'm reasonably certain i've talked about nissa on the show before and i'm going to talk about her again because she's so stinking good i don't even care what the ultimate is for the record the ultimate is minus eight go get all the forests out of your library and put them onto the battlefield tent. that's what the ultimate is And you get an emblem with lands you control are indestructible. So, yeah. That's also really good because now you're drawing gas the rest of the way. Or at least presumably drawing many, 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 many less lands. And have access to literally every spell you could fathom casting in your library. So, top to bottom, this card's power level is absurd. When the fail state is a 3 mana 3-3 that leaves behind a 6 mana or 6 loyalty planeswalker. Or a 3 mana 6 loyalty planeswalker that leaves behind a 3-3 creature. And if you ever do get to untap with this thing, I I would put Nyssa Who Shakes the World in the similar category to a card like Dream Trawler, to a card like Niv mizzet Parun. To a card like, um, oh, what was it? What did I do last one? To a series of cards that we've talked about on this show, where it has that hidden line of text that says, "If you untap with this card, you should probably win the game," because you absolutely should. This thing is absurd. It's insane. There is no good reason for for this card to only be five dollars and fifty cents. This card should have been a mythic. That's how powerful it is. Whether you're chaining massive Hydroid Crisis, casting Finale of Devastation in order to just let one of those forest creatures you've made churn through your opponent's life total, casting a really big dumb spell like an Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, whatever. This thing is dumb. And going from a card that should've been a mythic to a card that is a mythic and somehow still cheap, we have Seagate Stormcrawler in blue. Seagate Stormcrawler is one in a blue for a two, one. Kicker of four in a blue. When this creature enters the battlefield, when this creature enters the battlefield, copy the next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn with converted mana cost two or less. If this spell was kicked, copy it twice. So we don't want to talk about the, the, the seven mana version of this card, because by the time you're casting this for seven mana and another spell, the game's either already o- the game is already over one way or the other, right? So the version of this card I want to talk about, and the reason I put this card on this list is the two-mana version of Seagate Stormcaller. Copying one instant or sorcery one done. Just getting one extra copy. Listen, even looking at the standard format we've got cards like Opt. We've got cards like Blood Chief's Thirst. We've got cards like Shock. We've got cards like uh, Revitalize. We've got cards like Ram Through. We've got cards like Crash Through. We've got a ton of available resources to use with Seagate Stormcaller specifically to generate back tempo that you lost earlier in the game. Potentially to massive advantages. Right? Like the idea of Seagate Stormcaller into Bloodchief's Thirst to catch up against aggro decks. That's not nothing. Like, you get beat down for a couple of turns, they go Fervent Champion, Robber of the Rich, and then on your turn three on the play, you just go Seagate, Stormcrawler, Double Blood chiefs Thurs, get them out of here. And put up a blocker for their follow-up three-drop and just have a counter for Embercleave available. That's, that's what you gotta do. But, because they always have the Embercleave. Don't pretend they don't. But, like, top to bottom, this card as a a way to catch up on tempo is really really good and then there's the fact that it can help you fix your hand in conjunction with cantrips. you know revitalize gain 6 life so it negates part of a combat phase and draws 2 cards opt scry 1 draw 1 twice crash through draw 2 cards 1 mana some total of three mana, get a, get a creature, draw two cards. Village rights is the, is the most busted of the group when it comes to fixing your hand because you trade Seagate, Stormcaller, and Village rights for four cards from the top of your library. That's a four for two. Come on! That's gross, right? And then you just set up and do it again the next turn, because presumably you have Luris in your deck. Because, like me, you don't like having friends. Um, You know, if you're going to go down that road, you probably want to have Luris in your deck. But I digress. The fair modes on Seagate Stormcrawler are really good. And then there's the unfair one that I'm contractually obligated to point out which is technically grounds to put this card on the Teamer episode as well, but I'm not gonna do that deal. I'll find another Teamer card, or I'll find a better blue card for Teamer, but Neoform, this card with Neoform. Uh, The combo, as it were, is to get access to four mana by turn three, and you cast Seagate Stormcaller into Neoform, sacrificing Seagate Stormcaller. You get two copies of Neoform, each able to go get you a three drop or less creature from your library. Go get Dualcaster Mage. Dualcaster Mage copies Neoform. Go get another Dualcaster Mage. And you keep looping like that till you run out of Dualcasters. And then you start going and getting Glasspole Mimics, which enter the battlefield as copies of Dualcaster Mage. And you get all of those on the table. And then finally, you go get a Haste Enabler. And you kill your opponent. And this is a deck that is currently legal in Historic and Modern as far as formats that are, like... Where it's remotely good. Technically it's legal in Legacy, but I don't know if it's good. It's not legal in Pioneer because Dualcaster Mage has not been printed into a Pioneer legal set. And there's not another creature at three mana that will copy the Neoform on entering the battlefield. So you'd have to bump it up to bump it up to turn four or accelerate more, you know one drop accelerator into three drop creature into seagate neoform and then you can go get four drops and do the same thing presuming of course they don't kill your three drop but that's the unfair mode as it were with seagate stormcrawler is anything that lets you go get stuff out of your deck it's kind of broken right right and last but not least we're going to talk about Uh, Seagate Stormcrawler, by the way, is at a price tag of $3. This is a mythic rare with potentially busted-and-a-half implications, and it is $3. Don't tell me this thing ain't good. This thing's really good. It's really good. And last but not least, we're going to talk about a commander option and a card that has a little bit of value in 60-card formats if you're willing to put in the work to build it. And that card is Rafik of the many. Rafik is one, a white, a blue, and a green. For a 3-3, Rafik has exalted. So whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one plus one. And whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gains double strike until end of turn. So Rafik right off the rip. Doubles turns out, granting double strike to anything is really strong. Like even even the fair modes of this card are really good in 60 card formats. If you go turn one Noble Hierarch, turn two Knight of the Reliquary, turn three Rafiq in Modern, and you have two fetch lands inserted into the equation along that sequence, This thing's going to deal a massive amount of damage. An unreasonable amount of damage. Because Knight of the Reliquary on turn two, turn three, fetch land Rafiq, declare attack with Knight of the Reliquary alone, Knight of the Reliquary is vigilance, activate, Sacrifice a land, go get another fetch. Sacrifice fetch, go get another land. So you've got what four lands in the graveyard. So you, Knights of six six gets plus two plus two from Rafik and Noble Hierarch. Double strike makes it sixteen. You casually treat your opponent's life total like it starts at fourteen in most games of modern. That's that's ridiculous. That's a fair mode of Rafik. That's, what you, that's the fair version of Rafiq. And then there's Commander, where you can play it either as a Voltron strategy unto itself, where you combine Rafiq with uh, haste-enabling equipments and power-granting equipments to just Voltron your opponent to death out of nowhere, or you combine the Voltron-y approach of Rafiq with something my friend Matt did, which is to play it with Oath of Druids and Sarah Avatar so that you can play like one Sarah Avatar and one other creature in your deck. Oath of Druids is gonna come down and at the beginning of your upkeep if your opponent, if an opponent has more creatures than you, you are going to exile cards from the top of your library until you hit a creature and just bloop that creature into play. Sarah Avatar's power and toughness are equal to your life total. So haste granting equipment 40 in the air is a lot. 38 in the air is a lot. 38 in the air with double strike is lethal. I don't care what game you're playing. <laughs> 72 is a lot. <laughs> All right? It's a lot of anything. And then in conjunction with a card like Finest Hour, you then get to untap and attack somebody else for more. Come on. That's disgusting. And this card, again, we're talking about it largely in the context of Commander, where you only need to get one, and this card is $9. It's not bad. It's not a bad price. So moving on, we got our Brew of the Week, and this one, I, I got to apologize because I made, I wrote this episode last week and did not have time to get it recorded before the weekend, before the next work week started. And then the announcement came out two days before recording that they were planning on banning Uro in Modern and Historic. So take this bit with a grain of salt. But our Brew of the Week is Bant Ramp slash Midrange in Historic. The core concept is think of all of the powerful cards in the past two standards. Uro, Nyssa, Crisis, Elspeth Conquers Death, Carnage Tyrant. Like, dumb green, blue, and white stuff. Re- just good magic cards. Baneslayer Angel. Lyra Dawnbringer. I don't care what you're about. If it's good and it's green, blue, or white, it probably has a home within some variation on this concept. As, you know, your payoff for playing these colors. You just get to play really, really, really stinking good magic cards. Right? next think about all the powerful potential enablers growth spiral explore arboreal grazer cultivate migration path if that's your bag Thunder herd migration if that's your bag whatever right accelerating into powerful spells and last but not least the role players cards like you know, removal spells like Doomscar or Shatter the Sky. Card draw in the form of... Um, I'm drawing a blank. You know, even as... At, you know, there's all kinds of, of powerful options available to you. That don't require you to go too far out of the lane of play really good cards and win games of Magic between removal card draw counter magic card advantage threats elder gargaroth comes to mind you know you're gonna be dense in the four and five drop area because so many of the best cards are in that area customization well there's a lot of engines worth playing or splashing if you're interested in big aggro conclave mentor rishkar adonis climber available it's a deck. It's it's a style of deck that I've seen before. Even without access to Conclave Mentor, you can just play some stuff that cares about plus one plus one counters. Like Hydrocrisis gets a little bit better when you can put extra counters on it. The creature is more of a threat earlier in the game. I mean, just all the way around, this is really really good. The Flood of Tears combo is available. If that's something you're interested in playing Tameo with Flood of Tears. To recycle over and over, bounce and bounce and replay and bounce and replay and bounce and replay. And, and, replay and just, you know, with omni- in conjunction with Omniscience, you bounce your opponent's board, go through your deck until you find a threat that kills them. Uh, there's enough juice in Simic for an elemental sub-theme. The, the two Cavaliers, uh, Risen Reef. Even just going no further than that. If you dip into Pioneer for this, you also get access to cards like Master of Waves. Master of Waves in conjunction with uh, Risen Reap is kind of hilarious. Bant Gyruda can play some of these cards effectively. Notably, I guess it's actually better in, in the context of what we're talking about, considering we can't play Uro anymore anyway. But like, you know, growth spiral, two-drop accelerators, explore, migration path, uh, circuitous route, if you want to go that route. Circuitous route, route, it's, it's the same. Same word. I'm, I, I use both pronunciations because I'm a, I'm a monster. And even going up to 80 cards just for Yorian just gives you some more room for awesome magic cards and you can play a Blink Sub theme with cards like Thassa, Deep Dwelling, um panharmonicon if that's your bag if you are like saffron olive and like do nothing cards that generate massive advantages getting to untap with them it's whatever right you know stuff like elite guard mage risen reef the cavaliers all give you something to do and then sideboard options abound from solid solid removal and disruption to outright hosers in the form of cards like rest in peace uh, Graph Digger's Cage, whatever you're about. You've got them. Aether Gust, Mystical Dispute. Like, you, you've you got access to a lot of tools. You can even do an enchantment sub theme with cards like Stessen Champion joining the ranks of some of these other cards, and then you play a card like uh, Dance of the Mance in order to return a bunch of them to play at once. Whatever your bag is, whatever you're interested in doing, there's something available to do in Bant, let me tell you. So let's dive into our main topic, which is, I I lovingly referred to this episode as Playful Banter, because, again, monster. What is Bant? Bant is another of the five shards of Alara and Locus of green, white, and blue mana. In the absence of ambition, rage, and chaos, Bant is ruled by a common desire for the greater good, with ritual combat as the primary means of dispute resolution when diplomacy fails. Which is to say, in place of massive battles between armies and thousands of people, when there is a dispute that requires you know, requires bloodshed to, des- to resolve. The soldiers of Bant don't army up and go swinging at each other and spill a lot of unnecessary blood. That's not what they do. They send one champion forward, use their magic to pour all of their strength into that champion and the winning champion wins the dispute. That's the end of it. And I got to say that 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 has a nice ring to it. It is notably the first place Gideon went when his Planeswalker spark ignited, as well as the place that gave him his quote Planeswalker name. Obviously those of you who, who follow the lore or who have played since magic origins know that Gideon's original name, his given name on Theros was Kithian Eora but as a planeswalker he was named Gideon Jura or Gideon Yura, because presumably at least the locals on Theros just couldn't pronounce his name or not on Theros, on, on Alara, the shard of band they just couldn't pronounce his name they they struggled pronouncing the word Kithian, and I don't I don't really blame them. Strictly speaking, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying I get it. No. Uh, and it's primarily home to human rocks, avon, and angels, along with their leotar mounts. Oh, I don't need to go that way. Uh, Which leotard being the semi-sentient cat creatures that they ride into Into battle So, you know has its pros and cons (laughs) From a mechanical identity In block, it was executed as flawlessly as I've ever seen a mechanical identity executed by magic. The exalted mechanic is a perfect, a perfect realization of the belief and the the style of combat that Bant is known for. Creatures with exalted give power and toughness a power and toughness boost to other creatures to any creature that attacks alone. That's The long and short of it, that's what, this, that's what Bant was about in limited and in constructed play during its run in standard. The Exalted mechanic played a major part in the success of the actual named Bant cards. You emphasize putting a lot of creatures into play, but you only wanted to attack with one of them at a time. You only put one of them into harm's way at a time and presumably stacked enough bonuses on top that they weren't really ever in any danger. In other sets, Bant tends to favor a sort of go-tall mid-range approach where the quality of your threats matters a whole lot more than how many of them you have. Which is to say, you don't want to flood the board with lots of cheap creatures in your average Bant mid-range deck. You just want to put really good magic cards on the table and make your opponent figure out how to deal with them. And from a competitive history standpoint, Bant's got kind of a weird one for me, at least. Again, I started playing in 2004, and I never really encountered a truly competitively viable Bant deck until the namesake, until Bant became a shard in Shards of Alara Block. And the first deck I really played and experienced that was Bant in flavor, even if it was four colors, was Dark Bant during the Lorewind Alara standard season, was designed to curve out like so. Turn one Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise, turn two Doran the Siege Tower, turn three Rafik of the Many. That's what you were interested in doing in this deck. Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise, you know, one drop mana Dork, Doran the Siege Tower, Rafik. You wanted that Doran to be attacking for as much as 14 on turn three. was technically 4c but i mean this was very much just a big bent exalted deck it was a deck that was really popular for like a month and then just kind of fell off because of how utterly laughably ineffective it was against a card like bitter blossom which could just hold your massive door in at bay forever they could trade one life to not take any damage The next one, and this is my this one. will will go into my opinion on the matter. the The name of the deck was Mythic, and it was so named because it was largely designed around just playing a lot of the most powerful cards in Magic at the time. Lotus Cobra, Knight of the Reliquary, uh, Rampaging. What was that card's name? Not Rampaging Rhinos. I can't remember the name of the card. May have been rampaging rhinos. I'm not sure. The the six six beast for six that whenever you landfall, you would make a four four. But it was built around the idea similar to the Conley Woods Magical Christmas Land deck of playing Lotus Cobra, making massive amounts of mana on turn on turn three, and having access to six drop creatures on turn three. Tell me, stop me if you've heard that before. 6-drop creatures on turn 3 seem to be a thing that tends to be pretty powerful. This was my pick for one of the most powerful standard decks of all time. This V. Moschwitz masterpiece was a masterclass in balancing ramp and mid-range together. Again, the idea was to just make massive amounts of mana in the early portion of the game and just keep playing a threat that would dominate the game until your opponent died. It was the only deck to truly unseat Jund as the best deck during the era, as this deck was just objectively more powerful. Because Jund would have to not play its threats in order to keep yours from killing them. They had to waste time that they didn't have. You know, Broodmate Dragon doesn't beat Baneslayer Angel. Uh, Siege Gang Commander doesn't beat the Rampaging Rhino dude. Knight of the Reliquary is bigger than anything they have at under five mana. The combo variant is where things really got kicked into Overdrive. And this is the version I would put as my, you know, like a top five standard deck I've ever experienced. The combo variant realized that, you know, six drop creatures didn't have to be like medium good on their own. They could just be really stupid powerful thanks to Rise of the Eldrazi. The card—it was a card that had not seen any play in its time in Standard until Rise of the Eldrazi gave them uh, what is that card's name? Eldrazi conscription. Now, Eldrazi conscription is notably a very difficult to utilize aura. It's like a—I think it's an eight or ten mana aura, but it gives the enchanted creature plus two, plus ten, plus ten, flying and annihilator two. And the sixth dropping question was Sovereigns of Lost Allura. Sovereigns of Lost Allura being four a blue and a white, buys you a four-four with Exalted, and then whenever a creature you control attacks alone, you can search your library for an Aura card and attach it to that creature. So let's run down the list, shall we? Turn one, Bird of Paradise of Noble Hierarch. Turn two, Knight of the Reliquary, or turn two, yeah. Is it? Yeah. No. Turn two, either Knight of the Reliquary or Lotus Cobra, because you have access to the extra mana. You'd get both by the end of the turn. You'd cast Lotus Cobra, play Fetch, Sacrifice Fetch, tap the land for mana, You'd have access to three. Cast Knight of the Reliquary. Turn three. Fetch land. Activate. Activate Knight of the Reliquary. Go get fetch land. Activate fetch land. Get untap land. Tap the two lands you've just put into play. You got six mana. Cast Sovereigns. Attack with Bird of Paradise. Bird of Paradise gets plus one, plus one. And plus ten, plus ten. That Bird of Paradise just attacked your opponent for 13. And they have to kill it now, or it's going to wreck their lands. Like, there's objectively very few things I've ever experienced in Magic that were that powerful. So, forgive me if I gush over this deck a lot, because it's just one of my favorites ever. And last but not least, most recently is Bant Reclamation from 2019 Standard. A change of pace, as compared to every other iteration of Bant we've talked about, this deck was more focused on leveraging non-creature permanence, and one particularly annoying instant, that instant being Nexus of Fate. Uh, You would play Nexus of Fate alongside Wilderness Reclamation to Fairy Hero of Dominaria. And your goal was to just take as many turns in a row as you could And you would either win with Teferi's Emblem being able to consistently plink away at your opponent's board till it was gone. After you take like seven turns in a row. Or by taking three or four turns in a row with a Hydra Crisis, you could kill them. Even without the quote-unquote combo, you had the capacity to beat them the fairway because you were still playing Growth Spiral, Nyssa, and Hydra Crisis. So, like, they constantly had to worry about you going reclamation, untap, nexus at at end of turn, take another turn, start going off. But in addition to that, you could also just beat them because your cards were good. Like, you had the traditional mid-range thing going on where Nyssa could run the table on them, Krasis could run the table on them. Growth Spiral would accelerate you into Wilderness Reclamation or any of the aforementioned powerful threats earlier. Like, uh, Teferi Time Raveler did a good job of restricting your opponent's capacity to interact. It was just really, really good. Got Nexus of Fate banned. A version of this deck that was playing Expansion Explosion later after Nexus of Fate got banned eventually got Teferi Time Raveler, Growth Spiral, and Wilderness Reclamation banned. So, I mean... It's just really, really good. Really good. So that's all I got for Bant, everybody. Uh, Turns out when you put Simic plus another color that just likes to play good magic cards together, you get something that's really, really, really good at accelerating into and leveraging really powerful threats and engines. That's what Bant's about. At the end of the day, I know from a lore standpoint, they're about creatures and making creatures big and going in combat, but the best Bant decks don't look like that. So, that's all I've got for this week. I apologize for the late upload. We have been in disarray at home in large part due to the fact that Sarah just had surgery and we've been kind of trying to get all the preparations made for that. And now she is in recovery, but she's home and bed you know on bed rest until she uh, for at least a week probably two maybe three so we're, we're having to be super dad for a little bit and i'm not used to doing that i'm not generally very good at that <laughs> so apologies for the late upload it was supposed to be out last week it did not get out but that's all i've got Again, we're going to save the dad jokes for another, another good, either another good episode with a co-host or another good episode where they feel really appropriate. But if you've got them, keep sending them in. I will compile a list of my favorites to use for said episode. Uh, and with that, uh, you've got questions, you've got comments, you've got concerns. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. You can join the conversation in the Facebook group, Homeward Pathfinders. If you're a patron, you have access to the patron Pathfinders Discord, where we discuss episode topics. Uh, your deck can go to the front of the line of Brew of the Week. You, If you are a $5 or more patron each month, you get your very own episode. Like, we write the episode you want me to do. Collaboratively, together. So... With that in mind, I will leave you with the final words of wisdom from Peter Capaldi's doctor as he regenerated. We've got a lot going on in this world right now. Everybody's going through something. There's a lot to be upset about, but please remember when interacting with people, when, when dealing with people who, who upset you or don't upset you, whatever, never be cruel never be cowardly. Remember, hate is always foolish. Love, always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So laugh hard, play a bunch of good magic cards, and be kind. And we'll catch you next episode.